Hello, and welcome to a midweek episode of the Batteries Included podcast. I'm Dominic Yoni, and my co-host today is Kyle Connor from Outer Spec Studios. On today's show, we are pleased to be joined by Emilia Sibley, product lead at Heavy Duty Charging at Terrawatt Infrastructure. So before we get going, I'd like to ask that you please subscribe to the show. And if you're watching this on YouTube, tap that bell icon for notifications so you don't miss any episodes. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Emilia, to start... Can you give us like a, an overview of the company and just exactly what it does? Terawatt infrastructure. At its core, we provide a network of charging centers specifically for commercial fleets. So our mission is to power electrified fleets with the most reliable charging network. And that includes all types of fleets, uh, light, medium, and heavy duty. So we build our charging centers, we operate them, and we maintain them for fleets. Um, and that includes investing the upfront capital, bringing the required power to the site, um, purchasing and installing the charging equipment, and then upgrading the site with new technology as it comes online. So um, all of that we take on on behalf of fleets to make the transition to electric vehicles as seamless and simple as possible for them. Um, and we can get into different types of charging centers that we offer as we know one size does not fit all when it comes to fleets and what they need for charging. But right. Amelia, there's something interesting that you said that you guys are actually acquiring the equipment, the real estate, everything to do with the charging on behalf of the companies that will be using the infrastructure. So does that mean, okay, we see a, an area with a heavy build and new construction of warehouse space or something like that. You guys might actually go in, purchase some land, right next to it or even on site and build before a fleet gets there in hopes that they might need to use your infrastructure? Yeah, exactly. So there's sort of a couple ways we approach this. We buy land and build it proactively, anticipating demand for charging infrastructure in places we know fleets are going to need it. And we bring a lot of analysis as well as feedback from customers directly about where they're gonna need charging and when so we pull all that together to create a plan of where to buy uh, real estate and build it proactively. Um, and we also are reactive to specific fleet requests for charging infrastructure. So we will uh, in install infrastructure at fleet's own facilities. Um, that's something that is less known about what Terawatt does. We're often associated with our I-10 network, which we can talk about, but we also provide a suite of different charging products that includes behind the fence, so at customers' own facilities or right next to it, as you pointed out. So we can get into sort of these different types of charging centers and how they help fleets. So I was thinking, so down the line, uh, Terawatt is going to be basically a commercial charging network uh, across the country? Is that the- is Correct, that the, yeah. Yeah, is that ambitious? absolutely. We are, we actually have land already in 18 states. So we've wow. been acquiring these properties for the last four years or so, um, anticipating where fleets will need it. And then strategically developing them into charging centers based on uh, demand in that local area. And that demand is driven by a lot of different factors, what's happening with policies, mandates, incentives, um, as well as fleets who come and say, I'm ready, I'm ready to deploy in this city or this state um, what charging infrastructure can you build for me here or there? So uh, we take all of that into account when we decide which properties to develop into infrastructure hubs. 
Amelia charging's really expensive to do. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> like extremely, I don't think our audience can appreciate how expensive it could be just to install one DC fast charger. Um, so you guys are proactively spending huge amounts of money buying land, presumably buying equipment ahead of install. Who's funding this? What do the numbers look like roughly? Because yeah, it's just such a huge capital intensive process. Where's the money coming from? Yeah, we have raised, thankfully, $1 billion that we have in investment to deploy on behalf of fleet. So thanks to our very like-minded investors who have a longer time horizon to deploy this capital and are really bought into the bigger picture here, um, we're able to deploy that. So we're very thankful for that. Um, but we also are smart and strategic about it. We we want to make sure that that money is used very wisely because you're right, it can uh, get very expensive even on a single site. What's in the ground now? What's coming? Is there, Are there anything that our audience could walk up to and be like, ah, that's a terawatt site. I saw the podcast. Now they can connect the dots. Where is there any physical location at the moment? We have sites that we're developing now that'll be coming online Q1, Q2, Q3 of next year. Um, all are in California. So there's, it's quite a lead time to build these sites. It can take 12, 18 months, sometimes longer um, when the power is constrained. So we were, we're a fairly young company. We were launched about two, three years ago. So we kind of shot out of the gate, starting to develop, but the first sites are about to come online thanks to the fruits of that labor over the last couple of years. Do you have uh, partnerships with vehicle manufacturers as well? We do have general relationships with OEMs. Um, the vehicle, of course, is a really important part of the ecosystem. If you think about what's necessary to enable fleets to adopt electric vehicles, the vehicles, the chargers, they have to work together. So we are very big on interoperability. We want to be able to support all OEMs um, at our sites. Uh, and so uh, it's what customers are using. We look at which vehicles they're adopting and make sure our infrastructure is compatible with that. Um, both on the light duty and heavy duty side. Um, no formal partnerships, but we have very deep relationships with, with OEMs. Let's say you roll up to a site, you're going to build one. Let's say you got 20 high powered DC chargers for, you know, you know, class all the way up to class eight semi, uh, you know, you go all the way big boy charging. What, what's going to be put in the ground? Are you going to be using MCS for high power charging, um, which is the megawatt charging standard? Uh, what what equipment's going in? What power electronics are you using? Because the lead time on like transformers and switch gear is insane. So what does it look like generally of, okay, you roll up to a site, what's, what are we going to find? Yeah. So in a way we are like a platform. So we're able to mix and match different charger technologies based on what those fleets need. So if it's a behind the fence, we call it facility, a facility that's at the customer's own site, they might be charging overnight. So they might not need more than 100, 180 kilowatt chargers. And that's great, that gets them a full 20 to 100% charge in four or five hours and that fits with that dwell time. But then at sites where it's more opportunity charging, we call it, or on-route charging, where it's a charge and go, kind of like a truck stop. You know, you come in, you charge, pull through stall, and you head out. Then you have a very limited window where you want to charge. And so in that case, it's 350 kilowatts today with a CCS1 standard, but we're excited to upgrade those 
to 750 kilowatts to one megawatt charger speed levels as MCS, that standard gets developed um, in the next couple of years and those chargers become commercially available. So uh, there's a lot of technology upgrades that we have our eye on that we're helping to support and we're able to rip and replace chargers because we own these sites um, and provide the best and fastest chargers on the market for fleet. So that's another way we're taking the burden off of fleets. You know, if you're responsible for buying and installing charging infrastructure yourself as a fleet, you have to keep a pulse on all these improvements and then take on the expense of ripping and replacing them with the next technology. So we take that on, we're you know obsessed with that and we wanna do that for our customers. So um, it's 350 kilowatts now for that on route uh, use case for that charge and go kind of use case, but uh, hoping to increase those speeds very quickly. And the reason is we want to get to a 30 minute charge window. So a lot of times folks think for heavy duty vehicles, it's two, three, four hours. You can get 30 minutes of charge, um, you know, and recover 50 miles today. And that's a really nice, uh, sort of miles that you can recover for local halls, but we want to get to regional halls. We want to get to 150 miles recovered in 30 minutes, 250 miles, um, because that unlocks more and more routes for fleets. And that 30 minutes is the driver break period. So that allows fleets to adopt EVs without having to take on a lot of additional dwell time and disrupt their operations. Um, and make these vehicles even more expensive in that way. So we're excited for that, all the tech upgrades coming. Do you have your hardware provider selected? We actually have multiple hardware providers that we partner with. So um, one that's been announced is Signet, but there are others as well. Uh, so it's really a partnership to determine who provides the level of quality and reliability we're looking for, which charger speeds do they offer, um, dual port, single port, making sure that those kinds of dimensions are also compatible with our product needs. Um, so yes, we're open to working with different providers, bringing different technology on. It's one of the benefits of owning these sites and um, in a way being agnostic to what the market wants and really serving, you know, serving fleets and their needs. We don't have like an, an agenda in a way. We're not trying to sell our own charger. Yeah, but don't you think like obviously you're acutely aware as are we with like the huge reliability problems of charging with the current infrastructure that's available today. It sort of works on day one, dies on day two or derates on day two. And, you know, we have cable cooling issues. We have power module failures. We have software issues. Uh, Terawatt's spending so much money, a billion dollars, like you, you, like you said, of buying land and installing chargers. Why not just build your own charger? Yeah, I mean, eventually, perhaps we go that route. But at the moment, we want to deploy our resources in a really smart way and leverage the existing expertise that's out there. So starting from scratch, it takes a lot of capital. It takes a lot of time. So I, you know, we want to partner with uh, EVSC providers and suppliers to make the best technology, um, taking advantage of all the great work that they've already done. I don't, uh, yeah, so... Um, I think uh, partnerships is the way to go for now. Uh, however, we are building a lot of software in-house, um, software that we we see there's a gap um, in terms of the functionality we need. 
we need our chargers, uh, you know, to be self-healing, to be able to, we need to remotely reboot them um, and solve a lot of problems that way. So we need to be able to monitor chargers across multiple sites and understand performance in the blink of an eye. Um, and those features aren't necessarily available on software out there today. So we have a big software group internally with machine learning experts and data scientists that's helping us develop that it's sort of like a command and control center. And fleets also get to take advantage of that, that um, single pane of glass, we call it sometimes, to view the performance of chargers across the portfolio. So if fleets have multiple charging um, hubs with us, they can see all of the performance of that in one place. So we're able to provide that for fleets too. But reliability is a, a massive problem with existing public infrastructure and it is, it is a non-starter for fleets. They need charging to work for their businesses to work. So we're, we're, we're super invested in making sure that that is the case and having a very high uptime at our sites. Yeah, so that all, all sounds good. I mean, I think, yeah, if you were to build your own charger, it would take, you know, just three years to get through UL potentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, totally understand, uh, you know, that, that side of the business. When you work with a fleet to install a charger, are you guys paying the utility directly for the electricity consumed or are the fleets paying for that? And how does the billing process work? Who covers demand charges? How do you limit demand charges if you don't have huge utilization all the time? Uh, what does that look like roughly? Yeah, good questions. So again, depends a little bit on the type of site, um, but for our typical charging center where we have fleets sharing use of stalls, we uh, bill on a per kilowatt hour basis. So we offer a per kilowatt hour rate to use uh, these stalls. And in that way, it's kind of like a fuel charge. So similar to the way they pay for fuel today. And that price is all in, so it includes the energy. Um, and there may be pass-throughs of sort of peak rates. Um, if a fleet ends up charging a lot during peak rates, we would pass that additional uh, energy fee through. Um, but for the most part, it's an all-in per kilowatt hour rate. Um, and we also, we think that that is the way fleets like it because it takes that capital investment cost and turns it into an operating expense. So it's a lot easier to stomach for a fleet um, than having a huge upfront infrastructure capital investment that they are required to, to take on the burden of. So turning that into a monthly fuel expense is just a lot more approachable for a lot more fleets. Um, and we also bring on battery um, uh, storage and solar in certain cases to help with those peak um, demand times and uh, as well as resiliency to make sure we're covered in cases of outages. I want to ask about um, on-site storage. Is that something you have planned for not, not every site? Because that would, I think that would case take away case. from... Case by case, yeah. Because I would think that would take away for some some um, uh, variability in the charging rate of charging. You know, if you can use, you know, use your on-site storage to offset uh, the, the price of absolutely know, from the grid. Yeah, and it really depends again on when fleets plan to charge um, and how much they plan to charge. So, for example, Southern California Edison, where a lot of these hubs are going in, their peak window is four to nine p.m. Um, they don't actually have demand charges right now, so that's nice. We're in a holiday around that, so that makes it uh, simpler. But for this particular utility, um, it's 4 to 9 p.m. The rates go up. So fleets, a lot of fleets are aware of that, and we also help inform them about these factors. But 
they will potentially change their charging times to avoid it, or maybe they already are avoiding it by charging at night. Um, and so it depends. And then we, we take into account when fleets will be charging and determine based on that, if battery energy storage would make sense, would the ROI make sense? Would it benefit fleets or just be an additional cost to them? Um, it takes a, up about a stall of space. So that stall might be better served as a charging stall versus a, a place to put a battery. But would the fleet pay for that or would you guys pay for that because they're just paying per kilowatt hour? They, we pay for that upfront cost, but then that all in kilowatt hour cost I mentioned, it includes the cost of the infrastructure um, and then the benefits uh, when it comes to reduction in energy rates. So all of that is kind of factored into that all in per kilowatt hour rate. Kind of risky from your side, because what if you put in this huge investment and you expect the fleets to you know, use a ton of electricity and you give them a pricing plan where you're saying, okay, you're going to charge 10 megawatt hours every day, whatever it is, and you price based off of that. What if they just like don't use the infrastructure? Now they have it, you paid for it, they're not using it. I know it's a weird edge case, but it seems quite risky no. on terawatt side. We A factor I didn't mention with our pricing is we have a it's sort of a take or pay model. So we have a minimum utilization requirement. So fleets are asked to commit a baseline level of charging demand. Um, and we work with them to figure out what is that minimum that they're required to commit to. So it's not onerous on them. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah I mean, I love the idea. Is there really anyone else who's doing charging in this way? I would say Pro, yeah, the reactive charging, that makes sense. Putting fleet charging in, that's common. We see this often, but actually going and saying, okay, we expect there to be a charging need of medium and heavy duty fleet vehicles in this area, buying the land, maybe not quite installing the chargers until they're ready to go, but at least getting everything piped and and, and rocking. Does, does anyone else do that? Because I'm not super yeah. familiar. I mean, there are a handful, but not many um, because, you know, it requires a lot of expertise and capital to do this business well. Um, some of the other companies that are proactively building are doing it under a truck as a service model. So um, it, you might hear of YEV or Forum Mobility. What they're doing is buying sites, building out infrastructure, and also buying trucks. And then they're packaging all of that together into a monthly fee. And so fleets can sign up to basically uh, reserve a truck and then they get a fully charged truck that they pick up and operate. Um, and so that's a different business. It's a slightly different approach. I think it serves a market um, of perhaps smaller uh, fleets who don't want to buy these EVs, which can be expensive. Uh, but we think for especially the, the larger fleets who want their own trucks um, and want to keep those trucks at their home base um, and their drivers want their own dedicated trucks, we think that there's a market specifically for um, these charging hubs that are dedicated to them. And, and we see that market. The, the demand and interest is amazing. So it's very exciting to see that build. I've been with Terawatt almost two years now. Um, and watching that evolution in excitement and interest and uptake is, is very, very cool to see. It's good for the industry. Yeah, I have one last question, but I really, I can't wait to go and film at one of the hubs that you guys put in, hopefully Me early too. next year. Like yes. let's let's be there for the, the commissioning or the yes. first plug-in. That'd be so much fun for a video. Uh, okay, so 
I guess this isn't really so much on the charging side, but it's more on the vehicle side. Obviously, you're in constant talks with a bunch of different fleets, probably of varying sizes and in varying locations. Are there commonalities on types of vehicles you're charging? Are they all Volvo VNRs or Freightliner E-Cascadias? Like, what are you finding companies are looking to have you charge? Yeah, um, there are a number of vehicles that are we find to be popular. You mentioned two of them, the Freightliner E-Cascadias, which uh, come from Daimler, the Volvo VNRs, um, also Peterbilt and Kenworth. They have good battery electric trucks. Uh, BYD is another one that has, those are shorter range, so perhaps more for a drayage application or shorter haul. Um, the Volvo and, and uh, E-Cascadia has a bit longer range and faster uh, charge rate. So those are two things that we like. They fit better with a more regional haul use case, so 150 miles and up. Um, and then the Tesla Semi is also really popular. Hard to get on the list is what I hear, but really cool truck. I mean, just absolutely changing the game. Other OEMs have to, you know, compete. Uh, they have to catch up. They're just light years ahead on what the right. performance of that truck compared to the other. So I think that's really important. It's good to create that kind of pull for other OEMs to um, to lean in. And what we're seeing is they are. I, I have sort of a, a pulse a little bit on the product roadmaps uh, with these OEMs. And I am hearing new vehicle releases are coming with better performance. And so on the supplier side for EV charging, we're seeing uh, chargers also having a roadmap of better performance. So those two will converge to create a better offering um, for fleets. And that's going to be in the next couple of years. So exciting times, but they got to catch up. Have you ever, I mean, just anecdotally, or maybe you can share some experiences. Have you ever reached out to Tesla? Because obviously you're purchasing equipment from hardware manufacturers. Tesla is a charging hardware manufacturer that currently doesn't sell out their chargers. But right. if they were to sell their mega chargers and they just had MCS 3.0, which I think they're going to switch to eventually because they're just using a previous version of MCS on the semi right now. Um, is that something Terawatt would consider purchasing and installing at your hubs? Yeah. If customers want it, yes, we would absolutely do that. Um, so can't speak to the specifics of any conversation there, but uh, we would absolutely do it because again, it's we want to install the tech that works for fleets. And if they're driving Tesla semis, then installing those chargers would make a lot of sense to support them. So to begin with, I, I assume you have like partnerships with different larger fleet customers uh, and they will be, you know, have access to your sites and get some data, I guess, back and forth from you. Mm -hmm. uh, but when do you, when do you see it opening up for, uh, access being given to like small businesses and independent owner operators? Of, yeah, of that's a great question. Yeah, right now our model is a bit more like a membership where you can subscribe to have access and the sites are not open to the pub public for any uh, you know fleet to drive up and charge. They have to have a contract and an arrangement with us in advance. That gives right. us the ability to have good control over the site, ensure reliability and interoperability make sure that the experience is really solid. But um, there is an evolution into public, truly public charging that we see happening over time. So that's where it's really more like a, a truck stop today where anyone could just pull up and charge. So we'll, we'll, we may get there, but for now, we like having this sort of model of 
multiple tenants at a site who are all bought into charge with us and have a, a contract in advance. Right. So there are there are commercial fuel stop depots like this as well. A lot of people don't see that because they're not involved with commercial trucking, but that's one that's very similar to a model that's already in place now. You know, people we see truck stops of course, but yeah. There's also exactly. this whole other other infrastructure thing that, you know, the public doesn't isn't really aware of. So it's yes. interesting that private you're following that fueling model. centers, mm -hmm. private fueling hubs or fueling islands. You see those even, you know, some fleets have uh, fueling centers at their own facilities. That's less common, but um, is a similar model. So in a way, we're not starting from scratch in the way fle fleets do things today. They're they're used to these different arrangements. But um, you know, if you look to Europe, you can kind of see into the future a little bit. They have uh, examples of charging stations with the per kilowatt hour pricing on a, a board, almost like a leaderboard where it's displayed. I love that. It's like peering into the future. So. We'll get there too. Awesome. Uh, I just wondered if you have, uh, do you have any visibility over over traffic or usage at a particular site? So say, you know, you have your you know, your first few sites open and, you know, trucks are going there. Uh, maybe there's, maybe you have like five trucks headed for a place with maybe only three plugs available. Mm -hmm. How will you manage that sort of traffic flow? Yeah, um, we have, as part of the software we're building is, is a reservation system. So in advance, fleets will be able to sign up for a time slot, but we'll also um, be mapping out when fleets expect to charge in advance. So uh, before we even come online with a site, we'll have an understanding of this fleet expects to charge at night, this one in the morning. And so we're kind of kind of arrange that in advance too, to, to minimize disruptions. Um, yeah, so it'll be communication in, during operation, but also ahead of time to, to make it really seamless for fleets. We don't want them waiting in a long queue for longer than 10, 15 minutes max. Right. So it's, right. it's, yeah. Time is of the essence in business, that's for sure. Very much so when it comes to fleets. Yeah, we're, we're hyper aware of that. Right, so uh, I don't have anything else right now. Kyle, do you have anything? All right, uh, so where can people find and, and follow Terawatt infrastructure and keep up, keep up with what's going on there? Yeah, we have a website, of course, Terawatt Infrastructure, and then we have a presence on LinkedIn. So certainly a lot of posts, interviews, um, different pictures of renderings that we hope to show as well, but uh, more information there. So please reach out if um, anyone is interested in learning more. We'd love to speak with you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I guess that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, you can find and follow Terawatt also on Twitter, I believe, at Terawatt Infra. And, and as you mentioned, you're on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find and follow the Batteries Included podcast on social media. On Twitter, we are Batteries Inc. Pod and Batteries Included podcast on threads and LinkedIn. So uh, click subscribe, tap that bell icon for notifications, and we'll see you all again next time. Ciao.